Coffee for today's episode of the Morning Spotlight Podcast was provided by Spotlighter, Linda. Thanks, Mom. And for all the Spotlighters out there, if you want to support the show and keep us caffeinated, go to themorningspotlight.com and click Buy Mike a Coffee. The Morning Spotlight Podcast is sponsored by Fidelity National Title Group, the nation's largest group of title companies and title insurance underwriters that collectively issue more title insurance policies than any other title company in the United States. If you have questions, need a quote, or want to place an order, shoot yours truly, the coolest guy in title insurance, an email, and I'll be happy to help. Check the show notes for my email address. This is Ellie Lax, founder of The Gentle Barn, and you're listening to The Morning Spotlight with Mike Ham. What's up, Spotlighters? Mike Ham here with another great Thursday episode of The Morning Spotlight podcast. Now, Thursdays are when we get we do things a little bit differently here on Thursdays. Obviously, Tuesdays are our real estate episodes. Thursdays are our episodes where we do stuff a little bit different, talk to different types of people. And I can honestly say that today's episode, today's guest is the most unique guest we've had so far in the 100 plus episodes that we've put out of the Morning Spotlight podcast. We have Ellie Lax, who is the founder of The Gentle Barn. Uh, the Gentle Barn is home to nearly 200 animals in Santa Clarita, California, Nashville, Tennessee, and St. Louis, Missouri. So they have three locations. Ellie's been doing this. This was a dream that she had when she was seven, helping animals in need. And she uses that to help bridge the gap between humans and animals, uh, both nursing the animals back to health and getting them readjusted to the world, and also using those experiences and connecting them with special needs children, at-risk inner-city children, uh, who have a lot of the same stories as the animals do. So uh, Ellie is just a very unique uh, person. She's also an animal communicator, and definitely listen to the episode because she talks a lot about that and what that actually is. Uh, it, it's just a, a very interesting story and just a clear picture of someone that had a vision of what they wanted their impact to be on the world, and that's what Ellie is doing with the General Barn. Uh, but enough from me. Let's hit the music, and let's hear from Ellie. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cam, coming to you as always from the Spotlight Studios here in Morristown, New Jersey. My guest today is the founder of The Gentle Barn, which started back in 1999. The Gentle Barn is home to nearly 200 animals at three different sites in California, Tennessee, and Missouri who have been healed by her and her staff. Once healed and happy, the animals help at-risk, inner-city, and special-needs children who frequently have similar stories to these same animals. This is a truly unique episode of The Morning Spotlight, but is a perfect example of someone following her heart and finding her calling. She is Ellie Lax. Well, Ellie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. Like I mentioned to you at the outset and that little bio read, this is so like this is such a unique episode because we've never talked really about animals on this show. We've never had someone that has this type of I mean, it's not a business, I mean, business, whatever you want to call it, um, that has kind of like found something like this and developed something that I was just going through the Instagram page just before you got on here, scrolling through the website. So there's some early plugs right out of the gate for those. So if you want to go check it out, go do that now while you're listening to the episode. Um, but talk to me about like, <laughs> I mean, th again, there's so much that I want to talk about over the course of this episode, but talk to me about how the Gentle Barn actually started. I mean, I know the story, but let's let's start with that part. Yeah, sure. Um, the Gentle Barn was my dream since I was seven years old, um, but I had absolutely no idea how to start it. So I was 
I drew it. I sang about it. I visualized it. Had no idea how to start. Um, 22 years ago, I came across an abusive petting zoo and just went in to be nosy and ended up taking a whole bunch of animals home to my very small half acre backyard just to breathe the life back into them. And I just kept doing it until my yard was full of animals. And one day I woke up, looked out there and said, oh my God, I've just started my dream. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which I think is crazy. So I, I've heard this story before where I th you think you went to this uh, petting zoo, you saw the old goat and you just stayed there for 12 days basically. And until the owner lets you buy it. Right. And so how many animals, once you got all these animals to safety in your half acre backyard, how many did you have in that half acre backyard in Southern California, right? Yes. So it was in, in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California. And from that petting zoo, I probably rescued about, I don't know, 15 to 20 animals. But what happens when you start rescuing animals is I don't know if people start finding out or animals start finding out, but all of a sudden they find their way. It's crazy. And so the phone started ringing with, oh, I've got this old horse. Oh, I've got this pig. They're about, my neighbors are about to kill. Oh, I've got this chicken nobody wants. I'm driving down the street. I found a homeless woman that was living in her car with like all these animals. Ended up starting taking more and more home. And before I knew it, we had about like 60 animals in that little half acre backyard. And of course that's including chickens and turkeys and you right. know, smaller animals. Yeah. Right. You don't have like, you know, 20 cows in the backyard. No. Right. So like, I just, I find that so like, I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I find that hilarious. Like I just have it in my <laughs> mind of like, it's like a movie, you know? And like, did you ever have issues with like neighbors saying like calling up the town or whatever and being like, what the hell is this woman doing? She's got all these animals. Like, is there some type of zoning thing going on? Like what, what is happening over there? Yeah. So at first the neighbors were amused, thought it was adorable. They got free passes to come over. Everything was fine. Um, but then there was a new person that moved in next to me and she was amused at first and then she just wasn't. And so it turned into a, a bad thing. My roosters were going into her yard. I had to gather them up. She started calling the zoning department animal control. And before I knew it, I either had a choice to either shut down and forget my dream or to move away. And so I actually ended up moving from the San Fernando Valley to Santa Clarita, where we are currently to have more space, to get away from the neighbors to have neighbors that were more like-minded. And we've been here ever since, since 2003. Also, you mentioned in your earlier answer that this has been your dream since you were seven. So like this, this was your dream, like this level, like, did you ever think it was going to get to this point? Or did you think that you were going to kind of go through life and help animals? So it was it like, literally, this was your vision when you were seven. Cause I didn't even know, I didn't even know which way was up when I was seven. I was an idiot. Like I had no idea what was happening in the world. <laughs> well, the truth is that I don't know. You know what I would say when I was seven, this is what I remember. I would say to anyone that would listen, I would say, you'll see when I grow up, I'm going to have a huge place full of animals and I'm going to show the world how beautiful they are. And to be honest with you, I probably didn't even know what that meant either. <laughs> I yeah. just knew that I was going to have all these animals. So this is probably bigger than what I thought I was starting in the beginning. Um, but now it's smaller than what I hope it it's going to become. So, you know, that's, that's dreams that's happen that way. Dreams kind of start off with a little bit of a vision. And then as you fulfill that vision, you start creating more and more and more plans, right? And what I think is also very interesting about this whole story is the fact that like, it was almost like right place, right time type thing. Like you go into this petting zoo and then boom, like next thing you know, you're moving, you have all these animals. Now you have three locations in it. Like, do you think that maybe 
if you hadn't walked in that day to that particular petting zoo, do you think that this still would have been like the prophecy fulfilled? Or do you think that maybe it was just taking a little bit longer? Or what do you think about that? I think that our destinies find us. And I think that if we're busy procrastinating and not taking action, then the universe is going to give us a kick in the pants and make it happen for us. And so, you know, you can wonder why I was driving down the street with my then year old son. Why in the world did I pull over and go into a petting zoo? I don't even believe in going into petting zoos, but there was something in me that called me to go in there because the universe was like, Hey, you're going to start your dream right now. Stop procrastinating. Um, And I also think that a lot of us get stuck in overthinking our dreams. Like, Oh, well, how am I going to have the money? Where am I going to do it? And we spend our lives planning and not doing it. And I wasn't planning. I was just dreaming. And then it like happened to me or happened for me. So here we are. Right. Here we are. And I love that answer because I myself am not necessarily a planner, especially when it came to like this and some other things that I do. It's just like, we're just going to go for it and we're going to figure it out as we go, which I think is also very interesting too, because, you know, like we have a lot of people that listen to the show between the ages of 25 and 35. So they're young professionals trying to figure it out, right? Like I'm 30. So I'm kind of in that age range. And I, you know, I think I have an idea, but I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, I think we all are to a certain degree, but I think that's just a great point too. Like you, you had, you knew what you wanted to do and you just did it. Like you were, I'm just going to figure it out. Right. So like, I think that that's a a very interesting point from a business side, from what you're doing side, um, with everything, just got to go for it. So I think let's dive into that a little bit with the, when you move and you have all these animals and you know, like, are you working like a normal job? Are are you, or is this what you're doing basically full time at when you make this transition to, uh, when you move from your original place to your new place? Um, yeah. So when we moved from the half acre backyard to where we are now, um, it was me and my husband and we were working full time at the gentle barn. Okay. And we were maxing out credit cards and we were refinancing the house a 5 million times and we were just trying to survive. I don't know how we got through it. <laughs> yeah. But you did it, right? You we did, did it. it. Exactly. And I think that that also probably plays a little bit into the whole calling thing. Like if it's meant to be, it will be type of thing. So, um, so you make this transition, you, you move, you have the animals. I'm assuming you have more of like a farm type of thing rather than, you know, like a, I have this vision in my head of like a suburban backyard and, you know, like all these animals running around and stuff with like, maybe like a chain link fence and everyone's like, what the hell is going on back there? But, um, so at what point did you, in this process, did you start to turn the tides from being maxing out credit cards, refinancing the house, doing all those kinds of things to started turning the page and maybe moving in a direction where you actually had, you know, the money to take care of these animals. I don't mean properly like you weren't before, but even more so now you could have a a broader reach. Um, It was about 13 years ago. Um, We have been really struggling and we almost went under many, many times. And um, actually, it's an incredible story. We actually decided we had failed. Uh, They were repo guys coming in the middle of the night. The banks were trying to take back the house. We had maxed out 20 20 credit cards. We had refinanced the house as many times as we possibly could. Um, We were done. The bills kept coming. The donations were not. Um, And we had decided that that was it. We were going to go under And um, we actually hired a realtor to come and sell this place. The one thing about where we were was we said, okay, we might've failed, 
But the thing is, is that we had already made promises to the animals that we currently had. Right. So we need to move somewhere where we can continue to take care of the animals that we already had for the rest of their lives, but we wouldn't take in any more. And obviously we would shut down our programs. Right. Um, so this realtor was going to sell the house that we lived in at the time and then move us to like far out in Lancaster, like an hour north of where we were to a much less expensive neighborhood where we could get five acres and just take care of the animals that we had. She said to make a lot of money because she was going to sell our house and buy the next one. And when she came for me to sign the papers, I couldn't stop crying. And I kept apologizing to her. I said, I know I'm not, this is not professional. I'm so sorry. I can't seem to control myself. Just ignore me. And she kept saying, why? What's wrong? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. And I went down to sign and she goes, hold on a second. Before you sign, I really want to know what's wrong. And I explained to her that this was my dream since I was seven and we came so far only to fail. It just seems so unjust and I can't believe it. And then I said, but just ignore me, blew my nose and then went to sign the paper. And she grabbed my wrist and said, don't you dare. She said, don't you dare give up on your dreams. This is why you're here. This is what you're supposed to do. And I'm not going to sell this house out from under you. And I said, but we've, we, we failed. I mean, we can't afford the cars we can't afford the house uncle, you know, it's over. Yeah. And she said, no, it's not. You keep trying. And she ripped up the papers and walked out. And me and my husband were like, what in the world is she talking about? Yeah. And we ran after her and she just was like, you just keep trying. And, um, then she fished around in her trunk and she said, um, she said, watch this video uh, every single day for 30 days and don't ever call me again. And she thrust this video in our hands and, and drove away. And me and my husband were like, what is she talking about? Like the bank is going to take over our house. We're going to be homeless. Right. And so we popped in the video because we didn't know what else to do. And it was, I don't know if you've ever heard of the movie, The Secret. I don't think so. Um, I'm going to write it down. It's so on Netflix. It. And it's just this movie about how when we believe in ourselves and we believe we can our job is not to figure out the how our, our job is to figure out the what and the why. And once we know the what and the why we feel it, we vision it, we feel the joy of having our dreams and we just keep going and our dreams will happen to us. And it kind of like gave us permission to keep trying. It kind of validated and we kept trying and we got out of it and we money started coming in. The more we believed more money came in, the more money came in, the more we believed. And now we're celebrating almost our 23rd anniversary with three locations and 200 animals. Right. And that woman, I still keep in touch with her. She saves the gentle barn. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, literally like every part of this story, I just find so fascinating and so interesting. And I just like, I have so many more questions. So good thing we have plenty more time. <laughs> um, but um, all right. So were there, people maybe early on in that process, like, so you start believing, you just start, you're going to figure it out where, I mean, obviously she was a key person. Were there other key people that kind of came in early on in that process, maybe 13 years ago, like you said, that kind of, you know, got it, you know, moving forward in the right direction, rolling, rolling, the, rolling the ball in the right direction. Yeah. So immediately after that, we're watching the movie every day for 30 days. We're trying to believe we're trying to stay faithful. <clears throat> I mean, you know, positive. And um, these people call out of nowhere and they're like, Hey, we're in the area. We heard about you. We want to come visit. And we weren't doing anything. We're just looking at bills. We can't pay. So, and watching this movie. So we're like, sure. So they came out and I gave them the tour of the barnyard and the animals. I told them the work that the animals do and that the animals help us do for people. And 
at the end, the man, oh, wait, let me back up. Yeah. Okay, so we're watching this movie. We're trying to hold on to our house. My husband calls the mortgage company and says, please help us save this. And the mortgage company said, we're not going to even talk to you without you giving us $5,000. Like we're literally not going to even talk to you. We didn't even have $50 for groceries. How are we going to come up with $5,000? But we just kept watching the movie and staying positive. These people called, gave them a tour. They hugged the cows. They cuddled the turkeys. They gave the pigs tummy rubs, talked about our programs for, for children. At the end, they said, oh, we want to make a contribution. I was like, oh, wow, that'd be so nice. They handed us a $5,000 check. Wow. That's like fate. I mean, that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. We paid the mortgage and we just, it just kept going from there. I don't know. That was like, that was another pull out of the hole that we dug for ourselves. And then we just kept going. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So I want to talk a little bit more because you've mentioned a couple of times, like how you have, you know, programs with these animals. So because it obviously goes well beyond just uh, like I mentioned in the, in the earlier when I read the bio and everything, it goes well beyond just you finding or getting sent sick, abused, whatever animals, and then you just kind of getting them back to full strength and happy again. It goes well beyond that. So at what point maybe in that process, because you said that you had people coming over to your background, uh, your half acre backyard and interacting with these animals. So what was, what, how did you start setting up like these different programs and maybe what are some of those programs? From the time I was seven, I kept saying that when I grew up, I was gonna have this big place full of animals and show the world how beautiful they are. But the other thing that was happening simultaneously to that was that, you know, I had a very struggled childhood. There were things going on that I was overcoming and animals always saved me. So it was always the animals in the lakes and woods around me that breathed the life back into me help convince me to stay, listened as I cried and showed me that I was worth something. So I know firsthand how healing animals are. So it was always part of the original design of the gentle barn that with these animals, we would partner together and we would heal people that were hurting. And so when I started the gentle barn 22 years ago, I immediately started calling probation camps, foster agencies, drug and alcohol rehab centers, um, war veteran centers, senior centers, burn centers, children's hospitals, domestic violence shelters, anybody out there that was really struggling and inviting those agencies to bring their clients to the gentle barn. And, um, and they did. And we've been doing it now for 23 years where people come out, they're shut down, they're angry. They don't want to talk to regular people. So traditional therapy doesn't really work. They don't want to talk. They don't want to be open up. They're guarded. They're either on medication or in and out of jail. But we can bring them to the gentle barn and instead of them having to talk and be vulnerable, we do the talking and we talk about the animal stories. But when we talk about the animal stories, we're really telling their story. And so they realize through the story that they're not alone, that someone else shares their pain. They see these animals thriving and happy. So it models for them that they can aim at that goal as well. They know that we love the animals, no matter how angry or sad they are. So they know that we love them unconditionally as well. Right. They can practice empathy, compassion, confidence, generosity, self-awareness, hope for the future. They can practice all of that at the general barn and they kind of end up finding themselves in the barnyard. So what are some of those programs that, uh, that you guys have? I mean, you said hugging cows and cuddling turkeys. I mean, my parents live in a more rural part of New Jersey. Like they have a horse and two goats back there. And I feel like my mom and you would get along so well because my mom just has this thing about like, 
saving animals. Like she had a chicken that was like ostracized from its little flock, but uh, from our neighbors, a flock of chickens. And so she took it in and it would get like abused by the other chickens. Like one time it like, they would like beat the crap out of it. And then it got attacked by a dog. And then while it was on the ground, the other chickens came and pecked its eyes out. Oh my God. Yeah. Like messed up stuff. Right. And my mom taught this chicken, a blind chicken, blind, how to like, like tap on like the bowl, like a metal bowl and, you know, like figure out where to find the food and everything like that. I mean, it was like incredible. I mean, it was not a sustainable situation. Like that was, you know, a a very uh, upsetting moment for my mom, but it was just one of those things where it was just like, it was so crazy, you know? So I feel like you guys would get along really well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's just a quick sidebar. I just had to share that story. Um, but we've had like a blue Jay, not, we didn't have it. We had like a blue Jay, like my mom nursed that blue Jay back to health. She had another like little chicken from down the street that, uh, you know, they were like, you can, you can heal this chicken. You know, I mean, it was a lot, of, a lot of birds. There's a lot of birds in there. I'm not sure why, but it just happens to be a lot of birds. So I don't even know where I'm going with this. I just wanted to share that with you because I feel like you and my mom would get along. Um, I love her. Yeah. So, um, so, okay. Let's talk about the types of programs that you have. Cause that, that was my point with the turkeys. I see turkeys where they live and they, they're not very cuddly and they don't look like they want to cuddle, but, uh, but talk to me about that. What are the, some, what are some of these programs and what do you hope to accomplish with some of those programs? Okay. So first of all, we're open to the public on Sundays in all three States where people can come out and just meet these animals that they've probably never stood next to before hug the cows, cuddle the turkeys, interact with the animals and hear their stories of resilience. To, we really want to open people's hearts to who these animals are. Yes, we all look different. Yes, most farm animals are ostracized from our neighborhoods, but the truth is that we're actually more alike than we are different. And so by getting people to be able to come out and interact and fall in love with our farm animals, they can start gaining an awareness that we really are all the same, even though we look different and we can help them on their journey to gentleness. Right. Um, The second thing we do is we host private tours during the week where one person, a couple, a family, a group of friends, they can come out and enjoy the gentle barn for themselves and just have a slower, quieter, more intimate experience with the animals. Gotcha. Then we host cow hug therapy sessions. Uh, We have been doing cow hug therapy for 23 years, but now we are actually providing it as our therapy sessions for really anyone that wants it, not just people that come in through agencies. Um, You know, COVID was hard. People were isolated or scared or had major losses. They can come into the gentle barn. They can meditate in the quiet of the barnyard. They can hug the cows. Um, They can wash away the past and move on feeling more inspired and hopeful. Um, And it doesn't have to be someone with a major uh, terrible incident in their life. It could just be someone that wants, needs a good hug. So cow hug therapies are amazing. Um, Then we host school field trips so that um, we can be teaching children how to be kind. We can be teaching children how to be aware of their body language and what they're saying to animals and what animals are saying back. And we can teach them empathy that they can then take back into their neighborhoods and hopefully create little heroes wherever they go, where they're working on behalf of animals to make their animal lives better. Um, And then in the afternoons, We host groups for people who are either underserved or at risk or who have special needs. Um, So we have two programs in that arena. One is called an animal assisted therapy program, where it's a 10 month program where people with special needs can come in and practice motor skills, vocal skills, confidence, 
Um, people like that usually practice those skills in a physical therapy set setting, but physical therapy is painful and boring and humiliating. And there are kids that don't want to go, right? but they can come into the barnyard and now they're motivated to move their arms or hold a brush or talk to the animals and use their words because they're being motivated by the experience and the love of the animals. So they're actually practicing the same motor skills, vocal skills, and confidence that they would in normal therapy sessions, but now they've got motivating, you know, the motivation of the animals. Right. And then the other program that we have is called a peace enhancement program um, for really the underserved where they can come in and they're, they, they're either angry or lonely or hopeless or suicidal. They're struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. Maybe they're in and out of jail. Maybe they're in a foster program. Whatever's going on for them, they can come in and with the animals, they can be seen for their empathy, for their compassion, for their kindness, for their softness. Through the stories of the animals, they can start opening up and identifying and saying, yeah, I know how that feels. I've been through there, through that too. We take walks in nature and talk about resilience. They lead the horses and practice leadership skills. They brush the animals and talk about body language and, and how to lower their energy and soften their body language. They make wishes at the wishing well and practice hope for the future. They identify who they are and who they want to be and talk about self-awareness. And it's a beautiful, amazing program that can really take these kids who don't think much of themselves and start helping them see the good in themselves, the value, the worth. And then from there, they can start building up dreams and hope and manifesting futures for themselves out of their circumstances and into bright, beautiful futures. And then the last program we have is a literacy program where kind of like the same thing where kids are going through therapy, if kids fall behind in school because they're struggling in life and now they don't want to read out loud and they don't want to do their homework and they feel discouraged, they feel embarrassed. It's like a snowball effect where they just keep doing worse and worse and worse. And they're resistant to any help because they're embarrassed. Well, what we do is we tell these kids that we have these sickly new or old animals that one of the ways that we give them therapy is by reading out loud to them so that we can show them the energy of love through the time spent with us. And so we ask these kids if they would be willing to read to the animals to save their lives. And so the kids know that they're helping the animals and want to serve, but at the same time, they're practicing reading to an audience that's going to be non-judgmental and safe. And so it helps them scholastically, but it also helps them know that they're serving a purpose in the world. So cool. Very cool. So um, I want to go back to the, the cow hugging thing. So I, I'm sure there might be somebody out there because I know I am one of them. How does one find out that cows are good huggers? Do you just like walk up and just hug one? Like, are, are cows good huggers? I'm assuming they are, right? <laughs> They're really, really good huggers. Well, the way that I found out is 23 years ago, I rescued my very first cow and her name was Buddha. And the gentle barn was new. I was trying to figure out how to take care of all these animals. I went through a divorce because, you know, my first husband, I used his paychecks to take care of the animals. He wasn't thrilled. He left. You know, there was a lot of challenges going on. And so at the end of the day, I would always go out to Buddha, who was laying down with her wise, beautiful face. And I would lean against her shoulder and kind of just try to be done with the day. And the first time I ever did that, she wrapped her neck around me and held me in a hug. And I was blown away. Mm -hmm. 
And so she hugged me like that. It became our ritual every single day for her entire 13 years of life. And once I felt how magical that was, I was like, every single person that comes into General Barn has to have one of these cow hugs. So we've been, we've been doling out cow hugs, whether it's for people who visit on Sundays or people who come in through our programs, we've been doling out cow hugs for 23 years now. And it's, it's life-changing for, for many, many different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's very interesting. Cause I mean, I've never even thought about hugging a cow and apparently, I mean, I, maybe I should next time I go up to visit my parents, there's plenty of cows up there. I'll just like hop a fence and be like, Hey, you know, and see what happens. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so talk to me about like this process also, um, at what point, what was the second location? Was it Nashville or St. Louis that you opened up? It was ten. It was Tennessee. It was okay. Knoxville, Tennessee Knoxville. first, and then we moved it to Nashville. Okay. So, w- were there strategic reasons with why you picked those other two locations to start opening up Gentle Barns? No. So you're going to see the theme in my life is that life happens to me. Um, so this was another example. We would sit in board meetings and we'd be like, "Oh, we want to be in the biggest cities. Let's go to New York, Chicago, like big, huge cities." While we're sitting here making our plans. We found out about a cow. So I told my husband one year, and this came out of nowhere. I told my husband that for my birthday, I wanted to rescue a cow. He's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Do that. (laughs) (laughs) Three days later, he got a call from Tennessee from this woman that said there was a cow there who had lost his foot. He was hobbling around in pain. They were going to send him to slaughter. She's trying to save him. She called 200 places and nobody will help. And she said, do you even have advice for me? So my husband reached out and found the bovine surgeon in Knoxville, Tennessee. Then he found a company that was willing to make a prosthetic foot. And he came to me a couple of days later and said, happy birthday. We're going to Tennessee. So we went to Tennessee to rescue Dudley, bring him to the hospital, take him through his amputations and his different surgeries, fit him for a prosthetic, acclimate him to a prosthetic. And then five months later, when he was ready to be discharged, Um, I just couldn't fathom the idea of driving him five days to get to California. Yeah. Um, But I also didn't think that the grains of sand here in the California desert would be good for his prosthetic. By that time, he was world famous. And so we went to our board of directors and said, hey, can we open a general barn for Dudley in in Tennessee? And they said, yeah. So he uh, just one cow with a prosthetic leg. Boom. Now you're in Tennessee. Was that a similar story? Is that a similar story to the St. Louis thing? Yep. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. So yeah. So we opened a gentle barn for Dudley. And then of course word got out and we brought in more and more animals and um, we were in Knoxville for a while and now we're in Nashville. So in St. Louis, the same story, we had no intentions of going to St. Louis and um, we were watching on national news four years ago that six cows escaped a slaughterhouse and ran through the streets of St. Louis. And we're like, Oh, that's awful. And then by the end of the day, they had been rounded up and sent back to the slaughterhouse and the community members were in an uproar and they were like, oh, they got to live. They got to live. So there was a group of the community members that that put on a GoFundMe and raised their freedom money and got the owner to to agree to release them to a sanctuary. So that was announced on the news. Everything's fine. We went back to our lives thinking that like, you know, a local sanctuary would come and get them. But nobody did. Nobody would come and get them. And so four days later, the slaughterhouse announced that they were sick and tired of waiting and that they were going to slaughter them the next morning. 
And then our phones started blowing up and people were like, please don't let them die. Please. You have to save them. Kelly and Davis, ba- David Backus, who are big, ho- uh, David Backus is a big hockey player um, from St. Louis. They were, they personally called and were like, please help. And so my husband got on a red eye flight, got there in the morning to stop their slaughter, brought them to the hospital to be healed, got them to a foster home to figure out what we're going to do next. And then I flew to meet them to see like, okay, what do you want to do for the rest of your lives? I talked to the leader and was like, what do you want to do? And he told me, we've come with a story to share with the world. You have to help us. And I started bawling and crying and I was like, okay, done. So me and my husband found a property, opened our own GoFundMe, raised the money. And voila, we're now in St. Louis. So life happens to me. Right. And I just surrender to it at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sometimes you gotta, because sometimes it's, uh, I had a, a guest on a while ago um, and one of, she's also a podcaster. She has a pod, uh, she's based in Denver and she's awesome. Uh, Kristen Olson. So shout out to Turmeric and Tequila, the podcast. But one of her big things is saying like, whatever you believe, God, universe, Madonna, whatever. Uh, it's like, as long as you're putting yourself out there and, and something's looking out for you. You know, and like something's going to put you at the, in the right place at the right time with the right people and all that kind of stuff. And as long as you just put yourself there and trust that that's going to happen, it happens, you know, and it just seems like the more that I've tried to do that, that's what I see. Obviously the same thing with you, you just putting yourself in the right position and good things are happening, not just for you, but for a lot of people and a lot of animals in a lot of different places. So I think it's great. Um, so as we're kind of progressing through this story, you've mentioned your husband a couple of times. I know you mentioned just before that you've gone through a divorce prior to that. Um, so talk to me about the importance of the, I mean, obviously it's good to have, you know, people in your life, like the realtor and, and the people that gave you that $5,000 check and people that kind of, I'm not gonna say pop in, but they kind of like show up and they, they infuse some help into your story and everything. But talk to me about the importance of the support system of the people that are there day in and day out, like you are and how important that is. Because I mean, to be straight up, I mean, somebody that lives in New Jersey doesn't necessarily have a lot of access to a lot of animals. Somebody might be listening to this story and be like, what the hell? Like who would even think of doing this? But I mean, I'm sure that you've experienced that over the course of your life as well. But I think that that's something that's really important because you need somebody, somebody that's so ensconced in the message and the vibe and everything like that, that you're trying to put out. I think that that's really important. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit about that, the support system of the people that are there with you day in and day out running these places. Yes. So first of all, the gentle barn and I would be absolutely nothing without my husband, Jay Weiner and co-founder of the gentle barn. He came. So my first husband was not amused at my dream and left. Then um, a few years later, a volunteer came in and he started getting more and more and more involved. He started helping out in the barnyard. He started bringing produce for the animals. He helped me in the office. He helped put on our first fundraising event. He helped me build a, a good website. And we spent a lot of time together. Now, we, I was kind of getting out of my, I was recovering from my failed marriage and he was actually recovering from his failed marriage. So we weren't thinking romantically, but it was very refreshing to have someone there with me to help me. I mean, just not to feel so alone, especially after my husband left. So we became very, very good friends. And he helped me walk the horses and feed the animals and raise money and walk the dogs. And it just was a beautiful friendship. And a year later, we ended up falling in love and um, got married. And we run the Gentle Barn together. Uh, He's the co-founder of the Gentle Barn. And I really believe that probably without him, I would still be tinkering around in a half acre backyard with a handful of animals. 
but he came in with his yeah. cape and his superhero mask. And he took us from that half acre to Santa Clarita. He made it all happen to move to Nashville, to Tennessee and to Missouri. Um, he's brilliant at raising money and, you know, he's heading up the development team, the marketing team, the social media team. And he's really helped the gentle barn grow in ways that I couldn't have done myself. Um, I'm, I'm really good at healing animals and healing children, coming up with our programs and writing books and all that stuff, but I'm not a business person. And it was really because of him that the gentle barn was able to grow and thrive. And I can't wait to see what we do in the next 20 years. So, I mean, Jay is my absolute superhero every single solitary day. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, Jay and I both rely on our staff and our volunteers, uh, without whom we couldn't do any of this. They make sure the animals are fed and watered and cleaned and groomed and cared for. Um, they help us with vet appointments. They help us implement acupuncture, massage therapy, ultrasound, energy healing, all the things that we do in our barnyard. Um, the social media department helps these animals have a bigger voice to get out to the rest of the world. Our marketing department helps the gentle barn grow and thrive and bring in the funds necessary to rescue more animals. Um, our staff is incredibly dedicated. They work so hard. They wear so many hats and whether they stay for a couple years or the longest staff we've ever had is our first hire. He's been here for 15 years. Um, these people are champions and I'm grateful to them every single day. And then our volunteers are amazing too. I mean, they're taking their days off, not even being paid and coming out to help us with the animals and our programs, help keep the barnyards clean and give the emotional support to the animals. While our staff gives the physical support, the volunteers come out and spend time holding the chickens, scratching the goats and sheep, paying attention to the smaller details so that the animals feel like they matter to somebody. Um, we have an incredible team. Yeah, definitely. And you need it to do something like this and get to the scope of, like you said, I mean, that's something that you can't do by yourself. I mean, you have, everybody has their qualities that they can bring to the table. And you, sometimes you like, you know, if it's a business thing or if, I mean, I mean, maybe Jay can't actually put together these programs like you do, but he could do the business side. And it's like everybody rowing the boat in the same direction kind of, you know, helps you get to where you are now. So um, also I want to talk a little bit about, um, because I think maybe if people weren't like totally locked in on an earlier answer, we're going to go back because I, I think this is really important. Um we're talking about healing animals because obviously that's the first and foremost thing. And then they use that to bring the good into the world. Right. And one of the things that you mentioned, when we were talking about the St. Louis with the cows and escaping from the slaughterhouse was that you talked to the leader. So I think if people were listening to that real fast and maybe I'm wrong, but I think I know where this is going. You talked to the leader, but it wasn't like the leader of the slaughterhouse or the leader of this group of people. I'm, I'm assuming it was the leader of the cows, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, because I think that people, if they weren't really paying attention during that answer, like they missed a key thing that that was, you were talking to the cow. So <laughs> tell, tell me about that. I, I don't even know how to ask that, ask that question any other way. Tell me about that. Okay. So we have these six cows. They escape from the slaughterhouse. They're in a foster home and we have offers of people that might take them, but they're hours away. And I don't know, like, what do they prefer? So I said, at this point, I need to come meet the cows so that I can know what, how to place them or what to do with them. So I drove out there, I got out of the car, I went to the fence and the cows were about 150 feet away, all standing in a line. And okay, so what happened was they were in a slaughterhouse and there was a leader, his name is Chico. He was um, one of the boy cows. 
They're all the same age, same size. I don't know why he stepped up as the leader, but I guess he decided this is not how we're going to go down. Right. And he crashed through three fences to not only get out, but hold the authorities at bay while the others escaped. Wow. We have literally video footage of him chasing authorities behind a tree and making sure they stay there while the others are running away behind him. And once the others got out, he joined them. So this wasn't a freak accident. This was yeah. very intentional. Right. So when I, when I got there to meet them, the leader, all the others stayed where they were. And the leader walked 150 feet until he was right in front of me. And the only way that I could describe this at the risk of sounding insane <laughs> is that his energy was, <laughs> his energy was so powerful that I literally dropped to my knees and started weeping. And I kneeled there at his feet while he stared into my eyes. And we had this moment where we were staring into each other's eyes. I couldn't speak. I was weeping. I felt his energy. I felt his heart. And then once I could finally collect myself, I asked him in my mind with animal communication, what do you want? Where can I put you? What life do you want for yourself? And he said to me, we have come with a story to share with the, with, with the world and you must help us. And so I turned around to my husband and I said, we need to open a gentle barn for them. That's intense. So w- what is animal communication? Because I, 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 I mean, I, I have listened to you, you on other podcasts, so I have an idea. But if you could explain it for me again and then the listeners so that they know what it is that we're talking about with you talking, communicating with animals. Of course. So the first thing that I want to say about this is, first of all, every single solitary creature on this planet um, communicates through intuition. Every single one. Um, There's, we see in pictures, we have a knowing, we are guided. and, 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 And I'll give you a very basic explanation or example of this. Has the phone, like, have you ever had an opportunity where the phone rings and you know without looking at caller ID who it is? Yeah. That's intuition. Have you ever met someone that's smiling and saying all the right things, but you're getting the creeps? Oh, all the time. <laughs> that's yeah. intuition. Right. It's very simple. We're, we, we communicate through intuition. Every single solitary animal does. But in our society, indigenous people communicated that way. Native Americans communicate that way. In our high-tech, fast-paced, money-driven society, we unfortunately have decided that it doesn't exist and we've moved away from it as a species. But the truth is that we still are motivated by it. We've just forgotten. Right. So this story will illustrate how it's happened for me. For me, I have been able to hear animals ever since I was a child. I remember very clearly being a six-year-old child playing with my dolls in my room. And all of a sudden, it was almost like getting a phone call. Like someone was calling me. I know that sounds crazy. And I was like, oh, I'm coming. And I put down my dolls and I ran out the house and I ran down the street and I took a left at the lake and a right by the shore. And right there on this giant, huge tree was a bird that had fallen out of her nest. And I'm like, oh, here I am. Thanks for calling me. Yeah, I'll help you. And I brought her home and I raised her till she could fly away. I thought that was normal. I thought everyone did that. No, 
I, not me. I, it's not happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> At least I don't think. Maybe I'm just not listening. Maybe I'm not, you know, listening to. I think that that's what really like what we're talking about too. And it, you, if there's more to this story, then please tell me to shut up. But like, it's also like reconnecting with like the world. Cause you mentioned in there because we've become extremely disconnected. Like we're connected because you and I, you know, coast to coast can get on a zoom together and talk, but there's just a lot of disconnection that goes, uh, goes with life nowadays. And um, you know, I think that that's, something that's really cool is that like all of these things that you're trying to do are reconnecting everybody with not just like, you know, connecting someone that's been in prison to a, a hugging a cow, but it's connecting them with just like how to interact with people, how to, you know, like do all these different things and like regain the consciousness of being able to be around other people and other things and other living things. Yes. I don't think that we're listening at all. I think that you know, we're put in school at a very young age. We're told to sit down, be quiet, listen to somebody else tell you what to do. We lose ourselves. We lose our intuition. We lose our dreams. We lose our own voice. We disregard our own impulses. And we turn into these adults that are miserable because we're living lives that were never intended for us. Um, so I really think that like the ultimate goal at the gentle barn is to return animals and humans alike to themselves. So they can remember who they were, what they loved as a child, what made them feel alive, why they're here, what is their purpose, and to connect them to their own intuition, because our intuition is our best compass. So I've heard animals talk ever since I was a child, um, and it's really helped me at the Gentle Barn to know when an animal, what are they feeling? What have they gone through? What still pains them? What do they need? Why are they sad? Why are they sick? What are they, what can I give them? What can I do for them? It's helped me medically. It's helped me behaviorally. It's helped me with health issues. Um, and everyone can do it. It's just in our culture, we believe we can't. Um, and so basically animals talk to me in videos, pictures, and words. So they show me little scenes in my mind. They show me snapshots and I can hear their voice and write down their sentences. Um, and so I've always done it for myself and for the animals at the gentle barn, but now I'm actually doing it professionally for people around the world, because I think these animals have so much to say and I want to relay their messages. And I also think that people really suffer when animals are going through things and they feel helpless or when animals pass away and they feel so lost. Yeah. And if there's anything I can do to bring that voice of that animal back to them, to reconnect them. I can help the people not be so sad also. I mean, I think that was, it was good to explain that because I did want to make sure that we just didn't rush by the fact that you said you talked to the leader earlier and people were like, yeah, the leader of the people that raise all the money. Okay. Yeah. Great. But no, it's, it's deep. We, we're getting deep here on the morning spotlight. So um, is, is the gentle barn a thing where like, do you, when, once you get some of these animals, cause you obviously can't take in every animal that's sick and hurt or whatever, or abused it's impossible. I mean, it's just like, a, it's a numbers game. You have limited resources and you trying to help as many as you possibly can, but do you ever get to a, uh, some points with some of these animals where you kind of get them back to where they're going to be, you know, live their best life for lack of a better phrase and uh, uh, like adopt them or people do, can, do people adopt them? How does that work? Yes, absolutely. We have adopted animals into homes, all kinds of species into homes all over America and into Canada. Um, we've done some really exciting rescues. We did a hoarding situation with 250 dogs. 
Um, we re revamped a, a very high kill pound and saved the animals there that were freezing in the winter and then made them into a no-kill shelter, trained the staff and revamped the whole facility. Um, we've done some really exciting rescues and we've adopted horses, turkeys, chickens, goats, sheep, dogs, cats, all over the country. We do home checks. We have people that transport them. It's been really rewarding. Yeah, right. If, if Sky ever needs a home, like give me a ring. Cause I was like looking through, cause I want a dog. I just don't have one. I, I can't fit one in my apartment right now. I'm not allowed to have one in my apartment, but I was like, yeah, I want, I want, I want sky. So just as an FYI, putting that out into the universe now, and then we'll, we'll talk down the road. Cause I know he's part of the team, but we'll, we'll get there. So, um, all right, let's talk about the book. Cause I, I'd be remiss. Cause I know we're getting uh, low on time. So I do want to talk about the book. Tell me what the book is. It's my gentle barn. I know there's a subtitle to it. Um, but I wasn't writing fast enough when you were telling me. So tell me what the book is, what compelled you to write the story and put the, the message out to the masses. So my book is called my gentle barn, creating a sanctuary where animals heal and children learn to hope. And it's available on Amazon at Barnes and Noble and any, and you can get a signed copy at gentle barn org. Um, I wrote the book because I felt very, very lost as a child. I felt unseen, unheard, misunderstood. I felt like I didn't belong to anybody. I actually tried to commit suicide at seven years old, which is crazy early. Yeah. I didn't want to be here. And it was animals that saved my life. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think there's a lot of people out there that don't really know who they are, or maybe they have a dream, but they don't know how to start it. Maybe they feel alone. And I wanted to give people hope. I wanted to tell, I wanted to tell my story to give other people hope. And then most importantly, I wanted to tell the animal stories to show people that we're all the same. We just look different to really give the animals that I have been blessed to know a bigger voice. I wanted to talk about the kids that come here to heal because they're misunderstood as well. Um, and I wanted people that visit the gentle barn, support the gentle barn, donate to the gentle barn. I wanted them to know how we came to be and what is the heart and soul of the gentle barn and where it started. Awesome. So it's a book about animals. It's a book that any animal lover would absolutely love to read. It's a love story between me and my husband and how we met and fell in love. And it's a beautiful love story. But it's also a dream about dreams. It's also a book about dreams coming true. And I hope to motivate not just people that love animals and want to start sanctuaries, but anyone out there that might have a dream that there are struggles and there are challenges. But when you hold on and know the what and the why, you can overcome them and get through anything and land up with dreams come true, which is why I think we're here. I don't think we're here to suffer. I don't think we're here to be lost. I think we're here with a specific gift inside of us that we've come to share with the world. And when we can remember who we are, when we can have faith in the journey and allow the universe to rush in and support us and direct us, we can be so happy and we can make everyone around us happy and healthy. And that's what I've managed to do. And I wish that for everyone else. Awesome. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. And I think one of the other things that you mentioned in that answer was the fact that like, you want to share your story, you want to share uh, the stories of the animals, you want to share all these other stories. And I think that like, sometimes people, everybody has a story. And there's somebody out there that needs to hear that story at that particular moment in time, whether it's coming from you, whether it's coming from me, whether it's coming from, you know, Chico, the cow, 
right? It, it, everybody's got one. And I think that sometimes people are hesitant to put their story out into the world because they're like, who's going to listen? This is not going to resonate with anybody. Your story is obviously particularly unique, but you put that story out there. And I'm sure that there's somebody out there that story can resonate with. And I think it's fantastic. So I'm, I'm really glad that it's out there. Um, and maybe I'll get it for my mom for her birthday. Mom doesn't. Mom listens oh. sometimes. Maybe we'll, we'll do something like that. But that would um, be great. yeah. All right. So that just—I mean, might have just ruined my surprise for my mom for her birthday. But um, yeah, we'll figure that out down the road. So uh, goals. Do you have any goals that you're looking to accomplish? We always like to ask about goals, especially with people that are you know of an entrepreneurial nature like yourself. Are you ever? Do you have goals that you're trying to accomplish over the course of the next year or so, two years, something like that? Yeah, I have a lot of goals. Keeping in mind that. Uh, usually I have goals and then the universe takes me in a completely different direction. So we'll see what ha actually happens, but I really would like to have a gentle barn on the East coast. I would like to be in New York. Um, I would like to be in New York in the middle of central park. And I would like to work with that population that is really in the inner city surrounded by noise and chaos. And I would really like to be able to bring them to the gentle barn reprieve, have them sit in the silence, connect with animals and remember who they are. That would make me very, very happy. Um, I'm also working on more books. I have a whole children's line that's coming out. I have another, um, memoir that's the second memoir that's coming out, which is more about all the life lessons that the animals have taught me. So I'm really excited about it. And I would like to do anything I can to help connect animals to, I mean, to help connect people to animals, people to other people and people to themselves so that we can have more peace on this planet. Awesome. Well, when you open up that one in Central Park, we're going to put that into the universe right now. I'm hopping on the train here where I live and I'm going in and I'll go. Yeah. It's easy. I can't wait. Right. It's going to be great. I'm ready. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm ready to go. So let's make it happen. I mean, like bring your mom. Yeah. Oh, because I, I, I heard you talk about on another podcast about how you wanted to do it, the stuff with the uh, the carriage horses, like the uh, the handsome cabs and stuff like that. And my mom is like a horse lover. She had a horse uh, right before she got a horse before she had me and I'm her oldest child. And uh, I think Sonny was like 27. He had like really bad arthritis and eventually she had a, she had to put him down, but like, and that was a major life moment for my mom. Uh, but just like anything with horses, it's just like, she used to, uh, after that one, she was like, not really ready to kind of get back into, you know, uh, horses and stuff like that. She adopted a couple standard breads from the track that you pull the sulkies. Um, and she would try to ride them and they're not really bred to be ridden. So it didn't really work out. And then eventually now she has a horse now that she's very happy with and they get along great and whatever. I'll send you a video after we're done with this of me with, of, with me with Laddie. Um, but, um, all right. Yeah. I'm like going on all these different tangents, but you know, the hams, we have connections with animals, even though I don't own any myself, but, um, all right. So let's move the show into our closing segment because we're right where I told you I would, I would keep you to. So, uh, the closing segment, which we call under the spotlight. So the spotlighters have been listening to Mike Ham and Ellie Lax talk for, I don't know, 55 minutes, almost an hour now. Uh, what would be one thing that you want them to walk away from this episode with? So you're under the spotlight. If there's just one thing that people walk away from with um, after listening this is just this, the concept that we're all the same. We just look different. Um, we tend to really pick out the differences when we see another person, another religion, another race, another ethnicity, another language, another species. 
we like to put things in boxes and go like, oh, okay, well, you know, dogs we can love, but chickens we're going to eat. And cats are independent, but we still love them, but cows we're going to eat. And I really just urge people to start trying on the idea that we, yes, we might look different, but in our hearts, we are way more similar than we are different. That we all, no matter what species we are, every single one of us, whether we're an insect, a bird, a mammal, a human, we all feel happy and sad sometimes. We all have best friends and love our families. We all feel scared for the same reasons. And we all just want a good life. And if we can look through the lens of love, realize that we're all the same, treat everyone else, human and animal alike, the way that we would want to be treated, we would feel better, we would be more connected, and the world would be a happier place for all of us. And that's my dream. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and again, I think it's one of those things where this story is so unique, but I do think that it can resonate on a lot of different levels with the people that listen to this show um, and anybody that you know is interested in learning more. So if they are interested in learning more, let's hit them with the links, Ellie. Where can they go to get more you and more Gentle Barn and anything else that they could possibly consume with all the stuff that we've talked about today and more? Please check out The Gentle Barn at gentlebarn.org. And of course, Gentle Barn on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can check me out um, if anyone needs an animal communication reading at ellielax.com. Awesome. Awesome. And I will put my uh, contact information in the show notes as well. Just like always, themorningspotlight.com is the website. Themorningspotlight at gmail.com is the email address. Ellie, thank you so much for coming on with us today. This was an incredible story. It was so great meeting you and getting to know you. I'm really happy that we had you on the show today. And I know that the Spotlight has got a lot out of this conversation. Thank you for having me. Of course. And the Spotlighters, thank you for listening. And we will catch you next time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Just a reminder that any views expressed in the morning spotlight are the views of the speaker and should not be construed to be the views of any other person, any employer, or any organization. Thank you. We'll see you next week.